Mixed Media Movies. And welcome back to Mixed Media. We're doing our live show right now. If you're listening post, we do do a live show every Friday at 7 p.m. But I just want to hop into it today because I think this is going to be a an interesting show. I'm not going to be talking about a particular piece of artwork. I'm not going to be talking about a particular technique or business stuff directly even. I'm going to be talking about something that created a culture, right? Uh, if you're watching, you know, video, you can see uh, the Google logo there as uh, our our episode uh, artwork with the uh, devil horns and the whatever little dramatic. <laughs> um, but today I'm going to be talking about basically the history of freeware. I'm not going to be going super in depth with it or anything like that. It's not going to be like a documentary level or anything, but just sort of talking through some ideas I've had about. Uh, particularly my generation and yet yeah, Nathan's generation as well, um, what we grew up with and uh, how that affects our outlook on everything. So uh, I think it'll be at least somewhat interesting. So uh, I guess uh, first question, uh, Nathan, you may know the story, but how was Microsoft founded? Do you know? Yeah, well, it sounds like I'm going to say an answer as I'm wrong. <laughs> it sounds like. No, no, no. Just, just You might actually know the answer, so I'm not sure. So what I do know about Microsoft being founded is uh, that I believe, was it a duo between Bill Gates and someone else? Uh, maybe, I don't know, but they were doing something. And all I know is at some point they bought uh, DOS off of somebody and then it became MS-DOS. That's all I know about the origins. <laughs> yeah, so you're closer than most people in terms of what they know about uh, the Microsoft, how it, how it was founded. Now, I don't know the nitty gritty details, I just know the overarching, the overarching business that happened. The story that you hear, though, is that Bill Gates was a nerd and he was so smart and intelligent that he dropped out of college uh, and just worked on his uh, his idea in his uh, parents' garage until he and he just worked and worked and worked alone until and he slaved away until he created MS DOS and then from there he, he was able to sell. MS DOS to uh, <laughs> to uh, IBM and other uh, manufacturers who are creating their own individual DOSes for each other and stuff like that. And I'm just here to tell you that unfortunately that story is pretty uh, distorted, pretty pretty mostly not true um, <laughs> in terms of what really happened. And I promise this relates to the wider thing. Microsoft was founded by Bill Gates, yes. But Bill Gates did not drop out of college soldering uh, microcontrollers together. Hold on. Uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Were there not, was there not a duo involved? <laughs> was I imagining that part? Uh, I, you, might be, you might be right. I, again, don't know the ins and outs exactly. Um, I just know the... Uh, I know more of like the business strategy end of things. I don't know much about the interpersonal things. I know there are a lot of people who claim... That, you know, he screwed them in XYZ way or I worked with him originally. I don't know much about that stuff. But what I do know is that he found a, a basically an, a, another nerd who had been spending his life uh, <laughs> slaving away, creating a DOS. And this guy was trying to create a DOS that would work on any uh, hardware framework, basically. So basically what was happening before is uh, IBM was creating their own DOS for their IBM machines, 
and uh, Apple was creating its own stuff for its own machines, blah, 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 so on and so forth, right? And so uh, this guy wanted to create a... Oh, actually, let me explain real quick what a DOS is. Uh, actually, Nathan, do you want to explain what a DOS is? I mean, maybe my somewhat, somewhat uninformed view of what a DOS is, but uh, what, is, what does DOS stand for, by the way? I, I feel like I used to know that. I don't remember. <laughs> Okay. Is it like well, essentially operating system or something? I don't know. Uh, maybe I don't know. Well, what I what I understand by just looking at what the DOS is, it seems it's disk operating system. Oh, well, that's ancient. Okay, disk operating system. Okay. Well, technically, a hard drive is a disk. So I don't know. Is it referring to a hard drive disk or literally like a like a CD type disk? Or well, CDs around. Well, okay, whatever. Anyways, <laughs> or like a floppy disk type disk. Uh, anyways, which is not a disk as far as I'm aware. Is there a disc in that? Is that how it works? No, it's like a tape, right? Isn't the tape like... I don't know, dude. I just want a rectangle, which was like, doesn't make me think disc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, DOS. Uh, it's like, it's sort of like, a, you know, the, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the thing, the predecessor, I guess, to, to a modern system, modern operating system like Windows or Mac, where essentially, instead of using it uh, via, you know, GUI, like, you know, Windows and stuff like that, uh, it's all terminal or command line, whatever you want to call it, just all text. Yeah, exactly. So, and so, yeah, basically you had to like type your commands and then you got whatever program and the program that you got was not graphical at all. It was some more lines of text that you would interact with in some way. So that's basically, and you could still do this, right? You could still uh, program uh, programs in this way. But it is a the, duo, by the way, it seems. Say again? Uh, Bill Gates. So when, I, when you just look at Microsoft, right? Uh, you know, I was like the like Microsoft card or whatever. It says founders Bill Gates and Paul Allen. Oh right, Paul Allen. Yeah, I remember that name. I don't know much about him though. But okay, so Bill Gates goes to this nerd guy and he says, "Wow, you're creating a universal DOS. Amazing. How about I buy it off of you because you'll probably never make money off of it ever in your life." And I can't remember the amount of money that I, I definitely should have looked up these things. I just didn't have a chance beforehand. Uh, but I can't remember how much money he sold his DOS for. I feel like it was something obscene, like $700 or something like that. I can't remember what it was, or maybe it was less than that. Uh, but the guy probably felt good at the time because he probably didn't think he was going to make much money off of this DOS until uh, his DOS created Microsoft. <laughs> um, and so Bill Gates bought this DOS off of this guy. Then he sold it to IBM. Now, do you know who Bill Gates' mom is? I did not know she was a relevant person. I have no clue. <laughs> Bill Gates' mom was an executive at IBM. Oh, okay. That is very useful. <laughs> so a lot of people don't know this because they're like, oh, he just grinded his way up. You know, they just like, he just put the sweat and blood in tears and he just, uh, he just done did it, right? Well, no, he had connects and his connect got him a, a contract, a gigantic contract. Oh, she's really getting herself a gigantic contract in some ways, you know, uh, if, if, you, uh, if you understand. And uh, he bloomed from there, blossomed from there. He, so basically, and his, he wasn't from a middle-class family. His, his family was pretty well off. Like, when we think of garage project, we think of something dank, you know? Like, yeah, it literally happened in his garage, but like it's a nice 
garage. Like, it's a nice house. So it has, like, it's not some cramped space with, like, you know, one car garage. You know, this is like a, a decent garage, you know. Um, and yeah, just because it's his only place to work on this project before he has an office, does it make it particularly spectacular when you really think about it? Um, it, it would be something different if he was soldering microcontrollers, you know, <laughs> in his garage or something like that, instead of having business meetings, <laughs> which is more like what it was. So Bill Gates is mostly a businessman, but what I what I just sort of shattered for you is what you've been told about Bill Gates. And this story is actually remarkably uh, replicatable with other, um, I guess, tech founders that we learn about learn about in school. You know, you have Mark Zuckerberg, um, all uh, the original Google founders, the names escape me right now. You know, they're all Silicon Valley garage uh, products. And it's usually not quite that. It's, it's usually, usually it's not really that. Um, <laughs> they had connections, they had money, and oftentimes, oftentimes, they have uh, access to the, the bottomless resource of a government contract. So, so, you know, the, these these things aren't uh, as organic as people make them sound. So what, what am I trying to get at here is I'm trying to get at the fact that a lot of people look at Google, and I'm going to be focusing on Google as an example because it's we're all familiar with uh, Google tools and stuff like that. But a lot of people look at Google and they say to themselves, you know, the man, this this product came out of uh, the blood, sweat, and tears of people, and they deserve the right because of how much hard work that they put into it to, I don't know, take advantage of it any which way. Uh, all the money that they're able to pour into all their projects comes directly from their profits. And I want to dispel all those things real quick. I'm going to dispel all of these things. Business is is uh, has a lot of advantages. One of those advantages is if you have, especially if you have connections and you've got resources, you can rack up a lot of debt, right? A lot of not, humans, nor, like a person can't usually rack up the kind of debt a business can rack up. A business can rack up millions of dollars of debt, right? Uh, when it only has thousands of dollars of profit. That's the kind of debt that, that a business has access to. And so Google did something good, right? So Google created a search engine and it outcompeted everyone else. And I, you know, that, that's that's good, right? <laughs> you know, it, it delivered a better service than everyone else in search. And uh, yeah, I don't know much about the ins and outs of that particular uh, bit of history. But what I do know is when they sort of came, became dominant in terms of uh, Google search, they focused on two things. They focused on their ad revenue model where they were selling spots on their Google search. They've been doing that for a billion years, basically. Um, and they're still doing it today. And second, they have this optimization paradigm, both optimizing the site in terms of speed, like how fast Google loads, in terms of results, like how good are the results? How much do the users like the results that they get? And optimizing that. And also optimizing their ad clicks, right? How many people can, can uh, click on an ad so they could make their advertising product more marketable to businesses that are trying to reach more people, right? If they can show, um, you know, they have an increasing amount of people 
who are clicking on their ads, then uh, they go ahead and uh, make more money by selling that uh, efficient product to a business. All well and good. Now, Google eventually makes tons of money, but more importantly, gets access to both, uh, well, to all government money, investor investment money, and large sums of debt. And these are the ingredients that, uh, that are required to make a, maybe I'll coin a term right now, a pre-monopoly, right? Where, where basically you are acting like a monopoly before you've monopolized the market, right? So you have monopoly power without monopoly pres presence, if that makes sense. The way this happens essentially is you go sicko mode with the amount of uh, investments that you're gonna put in. You start using the power that you've gained to lobby politicians, which is, you know, in my opinion, a big red flag and marker for what is eventually, or what is a monopoly, right? Like, you know, you're sort of acting outside of market forces when you are uh, lobbying for government contracts, you know, servers for the government and whatnot, you know, data, all that kind of stuff. And so they set themselves up in this position where they have basically infinite money beyond the, mo the beyond the good money that they were making from search already, right? The, the search money that I don't think is, as far as I know, doesn't really have anything wrong with it, right? It's just good, good old competition turning out well for them. This produces a lot of products very quickly. So it produces, I don't even know what the first product after Google search was. <laughs> well, eventually it would become the Google suite, right? It was that immediately, probably. Yeah. <laughs> access them, so. Yeah. I mean, they came out with more ad products, of course. They came out with like web ads. They came up with uh, word ads within websites, which I don't see anymore. But it, uh, I remember that, word that era. Uh, sometimes when you hovered over a word on a website, it would uh, it would be like a hyperlink, but then it would, uh, like a little window would pop up with an ad, basically. But it didn't it didn't feel like an ad, right? It looked like more like context for that what that word was or something. Uh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So it might be like uh, antidepressant and you hover over it and it's like uh, <laughs> this premium <laughs> antidepressant is, where, is is like, you know, two times more effective than whatever. And then you click on it and it goes to the, the antidepressant gotcha. uh, site. And so they were, they were selling all this stuff and it was going well. And the thing is, what, what, is, what is it about Google search that it made it so effective? In fact, what all search engines were doing was they were giving the, their services away for free. Right, they were just you know you don't have to pay to go to Google.com, right? Of course, uh, and I don't think it would succeed if you had to pay uh, per search or something crazy like that. So they have to figure out a way to make money off of servicing the searches, which was the ads, and that's a pretty good business model from that angle. But they decided that they were going to go down this ad path for their entire business paradigm, basically. So everything was going to be about the ads and optimization, right? We talked about optimization uh, and ads. So how do you optimize to get more people to click? Well, maybe if you know a little bit more about them or a little bit more about their search term or you know a little bit, you know, you get down that rabbit hole that we're all familiar with. And uh, they optimize, they optimize. And of course, you're going to hit diminishing returns with just search and search data and even cookie tracking. Um, you're going to get, you're going to hit uh, some sort of uh, diminishing return. So you're going to come up with some other product, right? And enter Google Suite, right? <laughs> you know, you get Google Docs, you get, uh, you know, whatever, Google Slides or whatever it's called, all, the, all that stuff. 
starts off pretty rudimentary, but the key thing is that it's given away for free, which was unheard of, right? You had to pay for Microsoft Office in order to type out documents. And this is like on the cloud, it like saves all the time or something. Like when this was happening, I was in middle school or maybe elementary school, I can't remember, when this sort of revolution and sort of uh, freeware happened where Google sort of exploded with just free services that they that they owned and just gave away. And we're using them in school. Why? Because they're free. But what is Google gaining in return, right? You always have to ask yourself, if you're getting a free service from a for-profit company, there's something they're taking away from me that's not money, right? And it's what we all know is money. You know, that's not, uh, not money, uh, data, which is uh, not uh, surprising to most people. They look at what you type out on the Google Docs and they try to figure out if they can sell you a book about, I don't know, your research project for school or, um, I don't know, they collect a whole bunch of data to try to sell you some more stuff. And now your Google account is now your login for many websites. And now they can log which websites you go on. They can, uh, I don't know. And it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But all this freeware that they generate doesn't all work out. And the prime, prime example is when they acquire YouTube. And this is just one of many, many examples. Does YouTube make any money, Nathan? Have they ever profited a single penny? Remember, for a long time they didn't. I, I don't know if they ever like. I don't know. I don't know what happened after when I found that out. You know, I don't know if they ever like finally were able to make up their losses. But at least for a very, very long time, like not that long ago, they were not making money. At least I can look it up while I, while you continue. I'm pretty sure they've never posted a profit ever. <laughs> not <Okay>. once. <laughs> <laughs> and. So you have to ask yourself, well, the experiment failed, right? Like it worked, the, the business paradigm worked for Google search, but it didn't work for, you know, uh, the whole Google paradigm as a whole, the optimization paradigm. You can't actually get people to sell at high enough rates to pay for the services that you're offering for free. You get what I'm saying? But at this, at this point in time, Google has racked up enough both profit in terms of cash they have on hand uh, from a lot of government contracts. For, they've uh, racked up a lot of profit from hyped up uh, stock on the stock market. And most importantly, a lot of their ability to move quickly comes from their access to debt, which is never a number that you see very easily, right? If their YouTube expenses are running too high and they don't want to pull from uh, some of their other investments, they can just run up their the debt counter millions of dollars you know, overnight, pretty much, um, any bank is going to write that check for them, and uh, they're going to be able to be able to run YouTube. And then you're asking yourself, well, how do they pay off the debt? Well, they just run an endless cycle of debt, much like you know, the country does, right? Like they they just pay off the old debt with new debt, and they just keep cycling it, uh, so that they don't have to give up any assets, even the cash, right? The cash they would rather have in a bank account making interest, they would rather that. So they don't even spend the cash if possible. They just hoard it and they spend the debt instead, right? So my point here is is that there's this paradigm of freeware is practically artificial, right? It's being held together in terms of Google. It's being held together. It's a somewhat failed paradigm, right? It's being held together by 
its ability to seep into both government and private monopolies, right? So it's got uh, monopoly power. Um, it had monopoly power before it was even an apparent monopoly, right? It, it's had that for a while now. And it's its monopoly power and its debt. That's what it is. It's basically artificially held together to function this way, but you never pay for it. So what happens to you for these decade, this decade of freeware being injected into the market and being held together with duct tape and glue, right? What happens to you? Well, it ha what happens to you is when you're a kid, like I was in middle school or late elementary school or whatever it was, and I'm using freeware in the middle of the classroom, and I just, everything on the internet's free, right? Google's free, uh, YouTube is free, everything is free. Normally kids have to buy things, right? Like, and that's a big bottleneck. You can't, you have to, in order to enjoy something, you have to ask your parents and you have to convince them that whatever they're going to buy you is worth money and uh, that you are going to abuse it or whatever. You have to go through your parents, right? But what the internet did was give you free access to a whole bunch of valuable stuff. Just think about that free access to valuable stuff. Well, Normally what prices do in a capitalist society is inform you of the underlying uh, intrinsic value of something, either its value in terms of its materials and labor, or uh, for most things that aren't uh, just commodities, value, labor, and its uh, functional slash aesthetic value, right? So, you know, there's an extra value that's added on top for most things that are not commodities, right? And that price tells you something about the thing that you're buying, it communicates something to you. When you spend the first decade of your life basically not paying for a single thing because you literally can't, right? You have no money to spend, um, but you're able to get everything through freeware. All of a sudden the internet seems like it should be able to provide you everything for free. And you expect this from every company, not just Google, you know, you yeah, I saw where you're coming with this with this like from a mile away, right? Like when I saw the, I didn't actually um, normally like I look at your segment or whatever, like what people are talking about, like like before we start this time, I uh, I forgot. And I was like, oh, I was surprised, <laughs> and I was like, huh, I don't know where this is going. And then uh, as you started going, I was like, okay, I, I understand because <laughs> this is the exact same problem in the video game industry, which I've talked a lot to about with uh, with some people. Like people just keep expecting these things to be free, and it's like it's actually killing everybody here. <laughs> like that's a big problem. Yep. Free, like, like if people say, Oh, well, you know, you know, like certain companies make money that, you know, I'll do it for free. It's like, yeah, like giant companies. <laughs> exactly. you know? And it is possible to make, uh, too profitable for free. Right. And it's like, Oh, you know, there are those giant companies were small at some point. Right. Well, one, they probably didn't offer something for free originally. Right. And, uh, two, like, that is, this is a minority of the cases, right? Where you cannot guarantee your profits now. And like, it's like a whole, like, I don't know, the whole problem of like, I mean, you add skins, then people say, oh, why do you have microtransactions? It's like, oh, what are you supposed to do and make zero dollars? <laughs> <laughs> I literally spent yeah. hours of my life making this skin and you want me to give it to you for free. <laughs> that's, the, that's the kind of mentality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's exactly it. And uh, yeah, I was going to say it, it affects all art industries basically at the end of the day because, yeah, I mean, I remember when I was a kid and I thought that the internet meant free basically, right? Like I was like, oh, that means I should be able to listen to music for free because look, there's music on YouTube, right? I should be able to uh, watch movies for free because if music's on YouTube, 
why can't I find movies? I should go find movies like, you know, online elsewhere, you know, and, and watch them that way. And I was a naive kid, right? You know, we all learn. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that that whole mentality, especially in uh, our generation, we sort of grew up with the freeware. What's interesting, though, and this is uh, transitioning to, I think, the hopeful slash cautionary tale going forward, is that a lot of people my age, they're especially artists, they realize just how little people value what they do. Now, I have an episode coming up when I'm going to talk about the transcendentals. If you don't know what that is, that's uh, goodness, truth, and uh, beauty. Um, I'm excited for that one. I'm going to get a little philosophical with it. I haven't done that in a while. Um, (laughs) But uh, I'm just going to say this, that this is a human fact that we need those three things, basically. And one of those things is beauty, right? So you look at any situation even when people are in the most destitute of circumstances they will spend energy their own bodily energy and uh and resources even if that resource is just time right making art anyway right like they'll still create something they'll still they'll still pass beauty along to each other whether it's just song right uh you know just singing something or it's drawing something in the mud, right? Humans will just do it. It's not something that's a choice. And in fact, when you remove that from society, you often get uh, lots of death, right? Either from coming from uh, the top down or the bottom up. You know, death just comes if you, if you don't uh, have uh, have beauty, right? Uh, as well as goodness or truth, right? So all those things, all those things are uh, required. And if you don't believe me, just subscribe, and uh, we'll we'll talk about it later. <laughs> But artists, they've grown up in an environment where they realized, hey, I think I was made to be an artist, right? Like I, like I realized eventually, you know, whatever that means for you. And you go to school and you realize, how am I going to make money off of this, right? <laughs> like, how am I going to do it? And it looks kind of hopeful because everything is distributed a little bit more nowadays. So the, gate, the traditional gatekeepers are not there, right? Like you don't have to go through Warner Brothers Studios to make a movie, However, no one wants to pay for a movie either. So, and that has come out of the mentality, again, of freeware. Why don't you just give it to me for free? You want me to give to you a year of labor for my short film? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit, hmm, it's a little bit puzzling. So what do people have to do? They have to try to emulate the Googles in the culture that they craft crafted, right? So what do they do is they, they do the exact same model. They'll create an Instagram account and try to become a filmmaker. By the way, this is a, a strategy that I do even, right? Because there's just basically no choice in the current market, especially if you're small. You know, you create an Instagram account, you start posting about your film, and then use that following that you're hopefully creating to both get people to watch your film and care about it independently, hopefully, of, of just their pure bias for you. Hopefully it's not that, that, that makes them uh, like the film. And then you uh, try to make money off of advertising, right? The same thing, you know, you try to, you try to uh, get a sponsor from, uh, you know, wherever, because you have X amount of followers and expose your audience to that thing. Hopefully you can have a niche enough audience, right? That you can uh, provide a, uh, you know, a niche product with that, uh, that audience. In fact, that has become part of the business model of uh, Google. 
is uh or like if you think about youtube youtube and how they encourage you to do content or if you think about even facebook or sorry meta um, <laughs> uh, and how they encourage you to run your instagrams these days they want you to follow their model uh because that drives uh business commerce on their platform and they want to uh they want to own all that commerce basically they want to make sure that that commerce stays on their platform that you don't independently go off and do something else on your own so that's the that's where we're at and that's where i'm sort of getting these ideas in terms of how we got here but where are we going right so there's a few interesting things one there's nfts which we talked about in episode number two but it's revitalizing this uh i think it was number two or number three i don't know it was a very early episode probably poorly produced uh i would say check it out but at your own peril <laughs> but the thing about or where we're going with nfts is interesting because it's inspiring this revitalization of the idea of owning something when it comes to art and i just you know just looking at how people talk about it both the artists and the buyers how they talk about things they're like oh there's value that's just separate from just the labor and materials here that i want to pay for right it's not just uh how much time did it make you take you to make this it's that you made it and i like it and the, how much i like it in relation to how much of my life's resource money i'm going to give to you for it there is some relationship there and we're sort of rediscovering it with nfts it's super exciting super exciting but and here's the, here's the genius transition i came for came up with before my next uh, topic for uh, the next time i do my topic segment which will be three weeks from now these companies don't like that they don't like it at all they don't like it so much that they'll take a decentralized concept like nfts and the metaverse <laughs> that they want to own that marketplace and metaverse. And uh, we all know what uh, Facebook just became came recently, right? They became uh, meta, which was that the term metaverse was older than Facebook. In fact, people sued Facebook over over the word metaverse, although those lawsuits are kind of ridiculous. Uh, they were never going to win them. <laughs> but, you know, the, the term sort of pre-existed Facebook. But think about it real quick. The crypto space can make a metaverse on its own with decentralized applications. It just straight up, it's just kind of a, a natural thing that would occur from crypto. You know, crypto is sort of a digital digitalization of uh, ownership. And when you start to digitalize ownership, you start to realize that you could own things like almost entirely virtually like i mean you yourself could be virtual and have a bed you know what i mean like like it gets that weird you know when you think about uh by the way i don't endorse this at all i don't think it's a good idea for us to go culturally to the matrix but i'll talk about in in the in the next uh in the next uh, episode uh but that doesn't mean it's all bad either you know we everything is good with uh moderation the warning here so the good news is that we have NFTs and it's changing the conversation, changing the culture, especially in my generation. It's like we're rediscovering something new, right? Like, oh, value, <laughs> you know? But the other thing that we have to war be careful of is that these, these things, these monopolies, they bite back, right? They don't want that. If they, you cut them out, they're going to start using their monopoly power, uh, which they've gained, you know, so far unchecked to try to crush the space or own the space or convince you to own the space or the, to let them own the space, which is what Facebook is in the process of doing. So uh, 
yeah, that's my episode. Uh, and that's a sneak peek into what we're going to be talking about uh, next time I have my topic. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, the, the, the Facebook play was weird to me. I didn't really get it. Um, I thought it was just like, oh, they're hopping on the trend. And now I get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they are hopping on the trend. This is true. But not out of like some like, oh, well, you know, simple like profit motive of just trends being, you know, profitable. But like the the alternative is like them not being profitable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like going bad for them, essentially. Yeah. I mean, why do you need a social media application that's centralized when you can just have a decentralized one? Wow, what's the advantage yeah. of the centralized I mean, you know, one? You no, know, there are... Uh, <laughs> There are decentralized uh, social media stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, I know. Like, yeah. um, what's that one called? Um, you're talking about I don't the... think it's called Matrix. I think Matrix is the name of the client, one of the clients. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. a Matrix client or a Matrix application that looks at whatever you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Mm, yeah. Yeah, there's things like that. There's the Fediverse, which is, uh, I, I've actually, <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, it's like a protocol basically that you can instantiate. Okay in your own uh your own server right so you can have basically little centralized social medias connected in one decentralized uh uh network basically um which is a really really cool concept yeah it works really well i've used one until it died unfortunately because uh the uh centralized owners uh, got into uh, an argument about the, the direction of the platform. <laughs> oh, the idea, though, is that my account me. never died, right? Like, my account never... My account is still uh, in the Fediverse, so I could still hop on on someone else's server, see my old stuff, uh, see the old server stuff, If uh, depending on how, this, how often the server updates that you're currently on, um, and, uh, you know, then continue to interact. You can inter- interact cross-server, and everyone gets to create their own rules, right? Like, if you want to ban, I don't know, like, saying the word blueberry on one server because everyone here agrees the word blueberry should never be said, right? <laughs> <laughs> then uh, then you do that through the centralized owners, right? But in another server, you can still talk to people on another server that might have zero rules, right? Which is uh, very interesting. Yeah. Mm. So all these decentralized applications, they, uh, they threaten the model. You know, the- you know what? That is mm-hmm. that is Discord without the terms of service. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Which 100%. is, by the way, I consider a good thing because sometimes, well, okay, I understand why the terms of service exists sometimes, right? There's certain things. Okay. Yeah, it, it's certainly an interesting conversation to have. But certain some things that, like, pretty much everyone's like, we don't want that. It's just bots, right? Like, no one wants a bot coming into your server and just saying some random thing, advertising. It's like, no one, like, this is not, no one wants this, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, not a single person here wants this. So, like, okay, sure, you know, but there are, of course, certain, like, gray areas people are like, well, this is not ubiquitous. Like, it's not, like, because you can make the argument that, like, bots are just contrary to the idea of normal conversation, right? And that's the, the idea is that you just have normal conversation. I mean, that, that's kind of messed up, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, certain things like um, what happens if your account gets stolen, right? Well, the central authority that deals with that right now, and I guess that's that's somewhat nice and whatever. But you also lose, hey, yeah, you pay for it, essentially, right? You, you, lose, mm-hmm. you lose freedom, I guess. Yeah. And uh, different Fediverses can even have different business models, right? Some of them could just run non-for-profit, basically. And some of them can uh, have, like, a thing where, like, every time you... Uh, uh, post there's like a tip jar and then like the tip jar can like they can implement the protocol in such flexible ways you know that uh they can create their own iterations without like if you deep platform without deep if 
the threat of deplatform deplatforming for any of the individual accounts, basically, which mm-hmm. is uh, pretty crazy. You know, once you, if you're following someone, it doesn't matter where you are, if the server dies or anything. If you're following someone, you uh, you you will never lose your followers, right? Or you'll never lose that person, right? You'll still be able to see yep. them post. They'll just move to a different host to post, uh, if that makes sense. So <laughs> that's a threat. That's a threat to the centralized model that uh, is required to get everything uh, uh, going in the the sort of freeware model. That uh, I mean, honestly, there's a lot more nefarious stuff going on with that that I'm not going to get into. But um, it's not just money that is being gained here. There's a lot of, essentially, there's something called the problem of power, which uh, people don't uh, uh, account for usually when they talk about market dynamics. The problem of power is uh, is very uh, parasitic in terms of uh, uh, free markets, basically. And so there's a lot of problem of power happening uh, with uh, these gigantic companies. And so they would bleed as long as they don't uh, lose power because the power ensures their existence indefinitely. So uh, that's not free market anymore, right? That's something else. <laughs> something else that's not good. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's basically my episode. Cool, so uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us uh, for this episode. Uh, if you would please give us a like and share with your friends uh, if you enjoyed this. Uh, this is kind of a, an interesting topic. I would love to hear your thoughts. And to share your thoughts, you can head over to our Discord. Go to mixedmediapodcast.com for all links or visit the description below to see links to pretty much everything that we have. Our Discord, we are on all week. It's free. It's fun. It's fair. <laughs> all the all the things. Uh, but especially if you want your work reviewed, we do excellent reviews. You can check them out in our playlists on YouTube. Um, we do excellent reviews of other people's work. Um, and finally, if you didn't know, we're on Rumble. I don't think I mentioned that in a long time. Uh, so go to Rumble, search Mixed Media Podcast. You'll find us immediately. Um, and you can go follow us there where uh, the big Google monster can't eat us. So uh, <laughs> I, have a, I have a question. Yeah. Did you remove the deal? I did remove the deal. Oh, I finally remember. Oh, no. Yeah, it's over. <laughs> I don't it- what did I say? I would eventually remember. <laughs> eventually, would have been like fined for like having like a you know one of those permanent deal things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The funny thing was, uh, producer wife uh, reminded me I think yesterday, and then she did it for me because oh. <laughs> I keep putting it off. <laughs> so yeah, that I mean, you could have checked on it at any given point. You could have uh, snuck in there, got the three dollars a month. But hey. We've got uh, bills to pay over here, so uh, $5 a month it is. <laughs> and also, like, I, I say that, I say that you know, tongue-in-cheek. I really appreciate uh, any support you give. Um, we just like doing this, and uh, we would like more people to hear it more than anything else, honestly. Um, I have big plans for expansion of my own stuff, which hopefully bleeds over to here. I'm excited for that. I know Nathan has some plans, too. I know Ben has some plans, too. So uh, we'll see how they go. <laughs> So uh, have a great week. See you next week. All right, see you.